Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. You've made it straight inside the China shop. Turn that volume knob up to 10. Oh, no, turn it down to one. We're getting loud today. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. As always, I am Shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. Had a lovely nap, even though our guest maybe doesn't believe in naps as much as we do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Today, we are joined by a very, very special guest, Ross Klein from ChangeBridge ETFs. How are you doing today, Ross? I am great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we've been trying for, God, how long has it been now? You got you reached out to us back in like, God, what was that, G- the summer? I know Spring? I had a job when we yeah, first, me too. Reached, first talking. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a few months of us going back and forth, so I'm really excited to be here and chat with you today. <sighs> us too, us too. Yes. Uh, I, I understand you, you do have a very, very special heartfelt message to lead off with. I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm, I'm really eager to hear. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So off the top, there are a few things compliance would like us to share with you. Everything we tell you today is our view. We believe it's true and correct to the best of our knowledge. However, we cannot guarantee that everything is correct. Obviously, when we speak about the future, we cannot guarantee any of the outcomes we'll talk about in this presentation. Investing involves risk. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Please take a look at our prospectus before investing, and we are not tax experts. None of what we say today should be perceived as tax advice. And that is it. Ah, can, I, can we get a copy of that? I feel like maybe, <laughs> maybe you got better lawyers than we do. <laughs> it may not be the worst thing to have, boys. I actually have some tax advice for everybody, and that's uh, go ahead and pay them. Yes, that's a that's good advice. That's my advice. Yeah, go ahead and pay them taxes. <laughs> Sorry, digression. <laughs> so, so how come you didn't have to read that on the TD Ameritrade when I saw you do your interview on there? There isn't enough time. Ah, so it's hmm. not that your compliance department has it out for us. Yeah. Not to my knowledge, no. <laughs> you know, Jubal's in a china shop. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Now, it's a different dynamic when we have, you know, 40 minutes to talk about right. uh, all sorts of different subjects, whereas TD Ameritrade calling us in, usually talking about a stock or two, and then we're out. And then we need to add the disclosures on our end if we want to share that sort of material after the fact. This uh, should be in better shape because we said that off the top. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Our listeners know the deal. Sure. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, why don't we uh, why don't we get started here and just kind of dive into your uh, your background, Ross? Like, how'd you get started in the investing world? Yeah, sure. So, you know, it, I had an opportunity. I was really fortunate as a teenager that both of my parents were in the 
financial services industry. They were both mm-hmm. selling insurance. And uh, on Sundays, I had a chance to read the paper with my father, and he showed me the tickers and the quotes, which back then were in percentages, fractions, one eighth. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm dating myself <laughs> here a bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Um, and, and I was enthralled by the concept of not having to pick up a windblower, a snowblower, a shovel, and that I could still make some money. Uh, <laughs> and so that grasped me from the age of 13 until I started my career at Boston Partners. I was on the long short team there. Uh, I was there for 10 years out of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those were formative years. You know, I, I got to learn from some of the best equity analysts that I think, you know, are in the business. Um, and that really propelled me to have the opportunity to start ChangeBridge in February of 2020. So uh, not your traditional route to getting to where we are here, but uh, really fortunate for my parents. Glad to have the opportunity. Great learning experience at Boston Partners from fantastic mentors. Uh, and here we are now. So how did you get into that uh, that job? Did you have to go to, to school too? or I did. I had to go to school. Um, I went to Babson College, which is a small entrepreneurial school in uh, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, not originally from Massachusetts, but the school just appealed to me. Uh, I had sort of this entrepreneurial kick uh, that I apparently haven't kicked yet. Um, <laughs> And uh, another fantastic opportunity. Great professors. They have uh, just a wonderful finance department. It's called the Cutler Center. Uh, they actually have a program uh, where students are able to manage a small percentage of the endowment. Oh, you know, really? So wow. Talk about real-world experience while you're in school. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, for, for anyone listening who's thinking about a career in finance and they're you know, in that stage of their life where they're looking at schools, I would not overlook Babson. Uh, Babson. We'll make sure we put a link to that in the description. So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming those moves are monitored by the professor. Like, can you get a student <laughs> blowing out the endowment? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, the way they, fu- the way they practice is, is much like an investment committee at a large uh, organization. Okay. So groups of students manage different sectors. They have a leader in each sector. There's a professor who manages them. They have in-house uh, 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 investment managers who are you know experienced on the field mm-hmm. who give the students guidance. So it, it's really uh, an all-encompassing experience. They they do a good job there. And a lot of other schools I think are following suit now. Um, but I, to my knowledge and, and and my memory is biased. I think Babson was one of the first to. Uh, create a program like that wow it's exciting yeah man i don't know if i'd want that pressure though <laughs> <laughs> like can you walk out of the school owing them more money <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm sorry boss. Uh, you finished the semester ten thousand dollars down in the account we're gonna need that back it says here that you yoloed Ah, uh, so you started the, the change bridge uh, fairly recently then. So what made you want to actually start your own ETF? Yeah, so, you know, there was actually a rule change that the SEC enacted in late 2019. So mm-hmm. for years, you know, we, we had sort of witnessed this ETF versus mutual fund debate, uh, this passive versus active. Um, and 
all the while, you know, passive versus active goes in waves, right? Every 10 years or so, active outperforms. And then the next 10 years, passive outperforms. Mm -hmm. And for the last decade, we went through this period of passive, meaningfully outperforming active managers. And beneath the surface, you had this ETF structure that represented passive, but wasn't necessarily specific to passive investors. Mm -hmm. In late 2019, uh, the SEC enacted a rule change called 6C11. It's now known as the ETF rule. So it's an easy name to remember um, when you're Googling it after the podcast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> or right now. And what that rule do did was it enabled an easier more straightforward launch of active ETF products and, and ETF products in general. Prior to the rule change, you needed to file for an exemption from the 40 Act. Mm -hmm. It could take years. It could be millions of dollars in legal expenses. It really prohibited who could launch ETF products. After the rule change, it opened up the path. It also meant more disclosures, which is a good protection for investors. Mm -hmm. uh, but it enabled active ETFs to launch in the or active funds to launch in the ETF structure. And that's an ETF structure that we think is broadly superior to legacy mutual funds, to separate accounts, to commingled limited partnerships. Um, and we can talk through a few of those things if, uh, if that's interesting for you. Oh, how about just the difference between a mutual fund and an ETF? Sure. Biggest difference, a mutual fund uh, it, it is a commingled product. An ETF is a commingled product, but an ETF is exchange traded. That is, it is listed on an exchange. Uh, our funds are on the New York Stock Exchange. Others might be on uh, CBOE and, and others might be on NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. um, but the biggest structural difference, an ETF is listed on an exchange. Beneath the surface, there are all sorts of sort of technical and mechanical differences. And those are the differences that really lead to a lot of the benefits for investors. Mm -hmm. So mutual funds then are just, got, you, you purchase them directly from the fund? It's, it's more of like a private access? Exactly. And not necessarily private, but you do purchase it directly from, from the fund company. Mm -hmm. uh, and so with a mutual fund, you're transacting, uh, you send them cash, they receive cash, and they purchase securities using that cash. With an exchange-traded fund, there is a third-party intermediary known as an authorized participant, or AP, mm -hmm. that receives the cash and delivers securities to the ETF. And so as the fund manager, ChangeBridge doesn't receive the client cash. Instead, we receive the underlying securities that the fund uh, has specified. And uh -huh. so... It reduces the amount of transactions, it reduces transaction fees, and importantly, it reduces the number of taxable events for shareholders. Also, you have the option of getting out a lot faster or in too, right? Oh, absolutely. You have intraday liquidity. Uh, you have transparency into everything. You know, we're fully transparent. So at the end of every day, um, you can see everything that we held that day. Mm -hmm. on our website. So if you go to changebridgefunds.com, uh, you can see every single holding in our long short fund, longs and shorts, and you can see every single holding in our sustainable equity fund. Now, with the, sh the short uh, reporting is not nearly as strict as the long reporting. Do you guys do that because you just feel like being transparent is better? or Well, with an ETF, uh, with a fully transparent ETF, you report everything. 
Um, mm, okay. you, we could have gone down the route of what's called an active non-transparent ETF or, or semi-transparent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Vince and I, you know, when we designed this company and this fund, these funds, we wanted our investors to have access to what we were holding. We want to provide the investor community all of the resources they need to make a decision as to whether or not they'd like to own our funds. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, li- I think transparency needs to be... I think everything should be transparent like that, personally. Agreed. You know, and <laughs> it, it, trust well, me with your money. Just trust uh, me. Yeah, exactly. I got this, Kyle. I got it. You know, and it, it goes back to it, this notion of short selling being, you know, uh, bad, right? Yeah. You know, that short sellers are largely villains. Mm. You know, I think a lot of the problem is around transparency and access. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Without an active ETF structure, it's very difficult to access um, a portfolio of short securities. Here's the issue that I've seen with the, or why I think people don't like short sellers. Uh, you ever play craps? I, I know the game. Yep. Okay. So <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the stock market is kind of like a craps table where everyone's betting the pass line. But the short seller is the guy who comes in, he's betting against that, the, the table, basically. So people just, I don't know, they just don't like to see that. It kills the energy. It saps the momentum. I hear you. That's fair. <laughs> I think you it's know. more of that than anything else. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They're always, anytime you see them on Reddit or any of those other ones, they're loud. They're boisterous. They're making, you know, they're just gloating when everyone else is losing money. It's like, ah, stop being a dick. Just <laughs> take your money. Be happy. <laughs> All that being said, if we're able to offer it in a way that anyone can access it and any, mm. everyone knows exactly uh, where we stand on our positions, we think it's an improvement on the status quo. Oh, 100%. Yes. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with short selling either. I think it's healthy and, and important for the mar- uh, good market to function. It is interesting, right? Because, you know, the e- it would be easier to convert someone from a short a security to being neutral on that security than to convert someone who doesn't own a security to owning it. Mm-hmm. And so the incremental buyer could very well be a short seller. You know, so it's, it's kind of a, a strange dynamic that they're viewed in such a negative light, and yet you know, they're providing liquidity, they're providing price discovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important part of a properly functioning system. That's not to say that every short seller is you know, uh, uh, um, above board. Right. Um, you know, there are very few of us who I would argue are fully transparent um, and readily accessible. This active ETF concept, putting a long short fund into it, you know, you can count on hands and toes the number of funds that are taking advantage of that. So um, I'm not speaking broadly necessarily, but I do think that utilizing this structure is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I've actually looked through your uh, your funds holdings, and um, I think I made a little bit of money on IBM uh, after reading your uh, your report on it. <laughs> You're long or short? I went short on it. Okay, yeah, you know, actually, we just noticed Chanos uh, was out talking about being short IBM this afternoon. So, oh, really? We're in decent company. That's such an interesting example because they've um, and and IBM is a short in CBLS, and and you can. See our full holdings at changebridgefunds.com. Um, but IBM, if you've owned it for 20 years, you've underperformed the S&P by uh, 
more than half. You know? oh. oh, wow. <laughs> um, you know, this is a company with structural flaws. They pay out a dividend. That is the bulk of the return that shareholders have received in the last two decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, there are just some interesting sort of behavioral biases around large companies that are in a declining stage of their business cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is very difficult for any company to forecast out flat to negative revenue or earnings growth. And so um, it puts companies that are in sort of secular decline in a difficult position where earnings expectations are almost perpetually too high. Right. Um, and IBM, in our opinion, fits into that sort of dynamic. Wow. Never really thought of it that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, everything kind of goes through cycles. The market itself is cyclical. It makes sense that companies would go through the same sort of, you know, perpetual motions. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, let's, if you want, we can run through an example of something yeah. you guys own. And, and and we can, you know, hopefully, <laughs> I'll, hopefully I'll know it. But, you know, we can talk about where in that cycle we think the company is and how it gets valued. Do you want to go there? Do I? Uh, yeah. We talked about this stock in our last episode, uh, British Petroleum, um, with the outlook that we're seeing with uh, oil. I think Vladimir Putin recently came on saying that he is picturing a hundred dollar barrels again, a hundred dollar oil. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, so BP just recently cleared like a really important level around the twenty eight fifty mark. Uh, picked mm-hmm. up some some calls dated uh, for April. I think at the thirty-three dollar uh, strike price. Uh, what do you see going on with BP? Sure, yeah. So, cyclical company within a cyclical environment, right? So you, mm-hmm. you can almost amplify the nature of, of of how relevant that business cycle and, and economic cycle is for BP. Um, you know, taking a quick look at the financials, this is a company that generates meaningful free cash flow. They've increasingly returned it to shareholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end market dynamics are positive and improving. Um, you know, we just went through f- nearly five years of very, very minimal capex going into uh, procuring natural resources from the earth uh, mm-hmm. for environmental reasons, for economic reasons. Uh, there hasn't been a lot spent on allocating towards uh, legacy energy sources. Mm-hmm. And so the era of cheap energy may temporarily uh, have passed us. Hmm. Uh, and so the incremental cost of a new uh, you know, uh, gallon of crude or, 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 or measure of natural gas uh, is likely going to be higher for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, we went through this period during the peak of uh, lockdowns and stay at home in, in Q2 of, of last year, where demand for energy was, you know, at, at a low point. Mm-hmm. Um, but the economy's largely bounced back here, and, and we're seeing demand exceeding historical norms, while supply is still meaningfully constrained. Mm-hmm. For a company right. like BP, that's a good setup. Um, ChangeBridge invests in companies that we believe to be sustainably minded Mm -hmm. um we haven't necessarily allocated to bp but we do own a position in chesapeake energy uh 
Well, isn't uh, didn't I see something about BP wanting to go uh, shift away from the crude oil business too? Um, I think within the last year or after the uh, the uh, COVID outbreak happened, I thought I saw the, a story about that. They're trying. What we're what we're looking for though is tangible evidence, right? Uh-huh, gotcha. <laughs> They're actually doing it, not just actually, saying it. <laughs> with Chesapeake, we've seen for years that they've transitioned out of crude largely into natural gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've made meaningful improvements in terms of reducing flaring, reducing greenhouse gas exposure, and improving their corporate governance. Uh, we've had numerous conversations with boots on the ground. We're taking uh, the position that where this company has been and where this company are, is going um, is dramatically improved from an environmental and social and governance perspective. And so, you know, the notion of ESG being a static, um, you know, uh, 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 picture, mm-hmm. um, you know, is one that we think doesn't necessarily paint, uh, uh, you know, a full picture for investors. And so, um, you know, as we get back to BP, I haven't assessed it from an ESG perspective, but uh, looking at the financials, understanding where we are and sort of the uh, commodity cycle. Um, I think it's an interesting investment here, um, but not one that we would promote because of our, you know, you know, firm stance that companies should be actively considering how much of an impact they have on mm-hmm. all stakeholders. And that includes the environment, yeah. it includes the suppliers, it includes employees, it includes customers and certainly shareholders as well. Um, it seems like we are starting to see more of a shift towards that too amongst companies um i know salesforce has been really active as far as like fighting for things that they believe in that's not something that i remember seeing much of uh when i first started you know paying attention to this stuff like, 10 years ago they have and you know what salesforce has been for a while mm-hmm. they yeah. did it before it was popular yep. you know they did it before investors asked for it uh, and that that's that's, <laughs> that's top down culture Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that they have been focused on and, 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 you know, management and founders especially have uh, valued. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate that we have an opportunity to talk to a lot of management teams and really try to make an assessment of uh, sincerity mm-hmm. um, and, and how genuine <laughs> these efforts are. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking about Salesforce when I say this, but they have been um, you know, we haven't spoken to management at Salesforce recently, but but you can see it in in, in ten plus years of of them talking about environmental right. standards and relationship with employees mattering meaningfully. Well, it's a to that's that's very very interesting. Um, but to step back for a minute on uh, business life cycles. And, and looking at a few of the things we own, um, what, what about a company that's trying to completely restructure and rebrand like BlackBerry? <laughs> going to go through all the memes today. <laughs> that's right. Every meme stock, one after another. Maybe not a specific, um, uh, but what are, what are is, 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 is that uh, a meaningful topic of discussion? You know, com- companies that are trying to just completely restructure and shift I know like Blockbuster died because they didn't. Right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it always is, you know, it, 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 especially when you're 
considering short selling, right? Because you're oftentimes shorting something that is sort of going to be obsolete or, or right. is already obsolete and is sort of uh, not fully recognized of, of how poor dis- a, a condition the company is in. You know, we, we at ChangeBridge, we're always looking for sort of turnaround opportunities, stuff that's beneath the surface, under the radar, between the cracks. Mm-hmm. We have a quantitative process that focuses specifically on those sorts of opportunities. It is hard, though, to characterize them broadly, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because certain things that you might want to look for, uh, change in management, um, you, you want to see insider buying. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you might have multiple business segments and you could see that one segment is starting to grow and over time that segment can carry the rest of the business um you know those are some common characteristics but uh i i would find it unlikely that you would have a company going through a turnaround with the same management team that's been there for a long period of time right um you know without you know, having a change in chairman, change in CEO, CFO, that would be kind of a red flag in, in what's marketed as a turnaround story. Um, not speaking to any security in particular here, but just sort of thinking yeah. through pattern recognition and mm-hmm. um, some of the items that we found to be particularly interesting. Uh, that's really good stuff, though. I'm make sure when I listen to this, I make some notes cause yeah, right? <laughs> and go through some of the ones that I've been watching. <laughs> See how many follow that pattern, at least the ones that were successful. Yeah, and insider buying's a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you've got a management team that's stepping up and putting their own capital in, you know, that, that's a vote of confidence. Another area that you, you, you could look at is in the filings, you can see how management is compensated. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's largely stock, that's usually a good sign. Um, you can usually see what defines. Uh, a bonus in terms of what characteristics or criteria need to be hit, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, you know EBITDA margins, whether it's revenue growth. Um, this is all out in the open; it's publicly available, so uh, it's worth gauging whether those bonus criteria fit what the company is saying is important to them. That's a good point. So it sounds like you really spend a lot of time doing some really good due diligence research. Uh, how, how much time do you think you spend any average week managing these funds, doing this kind of research? How many hours are there in a week? Right. Um, <laughs> all, all of them? All of the hours? <laughs> the vast majority. I mean, it, this is a full-time and then some position, and it's one that I love. There's no shortage of information that we can soak in. Mm-hmm. You know, having resources at our fingertips with with you know full disclosure regulations that the SEC has enacted. The playing ground is as even as it's been in in any of our investing lifespans, and in your parents' lifespans, in your grandparents' lifespans, we all have an opportunity to do real fundamental work on companies today and, and have a relatively level playing field. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's fantastic for individual investors and for professionals alike, you know, hard work and diligence pay off. Um, you know, knowing where to look, uh, looking for patterns, 
you know, I would I would refer back to Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours concept. You know, the more you do this, mm. the more patterns you pick up, the more you recognize, hey, that's important or that's not quite as important. Um, you know, that's not to say that uh, a, a young person doesn't have an opportunity or, or an amateur doesn't have an opportunity to, you know, hit the ball out of the park. Um, they do. They absolutely do. But it does provide some opportunity for the folks who are a bit more experienced to take advantage of things they've seen in the past, you know, and, and Vince and I have, uh, you know, 30 plus years of professional experience doing this, Mm -hmm. um, you know, collectively, but it's not to say that, you know, we have some exclusivity on good ideas, you know? Right. Um, well, that's one of the things I love about uh, doing the show, especially it's just all the different people that we get to talk to all the different philosophies. You know, yeah. you might talk to someone who is purely technical. Mm -hmm. You might talk to someone who's purely quantitative. You might talk to someone who's purely fundamental. They could all be right. Right. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, they may be right for different reasons. They may be right for different time horizons. But that's one of the beautiful things about this business. Yes. You know, <laughs> the, we all have an opportunity, um, but it requires discipline. My IBM trade, I think, was uh, less than a day. <laughs> See, so you, your time horizon and ours are completely different. Much different, on yes. That trade. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, it was supposed to be a monthly or like a, a couple week swing trade, but it made its move like the day after I bought it. So I got out and took my money. Gotcha. <laughs> and see, so that's your discipline, right? Yeah. Knowing where you have an opportunity, an advantage, uh, some sort of skill set or strength. That's a that's as important as anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, know thyself, right? You know, it, it's it's one of the rules that we publish on our website, and, and I think it's important for all investors, regardless of experience, age, wisdom, strategy, structure. Try to understand what your discipline is and stick to it. That's a yeah. great point too, Dan and I. I think yep. we're shocked to figure out how much of you know, this profession is meant, uh, you know, psychology based, like understanding from everything from the way the market actually moves in the cycles to the way that you yourself, yeah, yeah. you know, trade, like how much of that all has to do with your emotional yeah. foundation. <laughs> I've had to get to know myself a lot, lot yeah, better I know. than I thought I would. <laughs> you know, e even things <laughs> like time of day, how mm -hmm. recently you had a meal, yeah. you know, that all affects your mood. Yeah. And so understanding that we're not perfectly rational beings and trying to have a, a, a gauge on, on our own strengths and weaknesses is a huge undertaking, but also a huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you haven't read um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, I highly recommend it. Thinking um, Fast and Slow? Thinking Fast and Slow. It's, it's, effect, it's basically the... Intelligent Investor by, by Ben Graham version of Behavioral Economics. Okay. It, 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 it is a fantastic read. And if you're interested in behavioral economics, which is what we've been talking about for the last few minutes, <laughs> yeah, it's a must. Awesome. Uh, highly recommend it. Place that order as soon as we finish. Let's just say this will be the first time we put a link to a book in the episode description. That's not the first time. We did oh. put a link to Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, God. <laughs> a, a book worth reading. Yes, there you go.
All right, I want to get back to the uh, the ETF that you guys manage then and talk a little bit more about like the actual mechanics of running it, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah, so we manage two funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, CBLS is our long short equity fund. CBSE is our sustainable equity fund. That's CB is mm-hmm. in Change Bridge uh, Capital Sustainable Equity. Mm-hmm. The two funds are high conviction funds. We own 30 to 40 long securities at any given point. In our long short fund, we tend to have 10 to 20 shorts. Mm-hmm. We have a process that uh, we would call quantumental. And so we're taking what we believe to be the best of a quantitative filtering process and our fundamental diligence. Mm-hmm. We're utilizing our quantitative tools to find potential areas of inefficiency. We're looking for the tails of our quantitative uh, uh, scoring system, mm-hmm. basically looking for companies that there may be a misunderstanding between the company's stated financials and underlying fundamentals. And it doesn't necessarily indicate that this is a long idea or a short idea. What the models are doing are telling us that there's an opportunity here. Um, mm-hmm go dig deeper and find out what it is. See if there's an opportunity to unlock some alpha. And if there is, figure out if there's a catalyst to actually unlock it. Because Uh having one without the other um, isn't enough. So like catalyst being something like an earnings report or... It could be an earnings report. Um, News coming up. uh... It could be, uh, you know, a, a... biotech company that has some fda announcement coming up and you know we don't we don't know which direction it's going obviously but um you know that's that's a very definable catalyst it could be a company that uh you know recently had an acquisition or a divestiture or a competitor went out of business you know Mm. there's some change afoot it could be a company with multiple business segments and one of the segments is small and growing Mm -hmm. and the other segment is large and shrinking and Pretty soon, the small but growing segment will be large and growing, mm-hmm. and the overall company will have revenue growth and earnings growth in a way that Wall Street isn't expecting. Right. You know, any of those could qualify as catalyst. What doesn't necessarily qualify as a catalyst, in our opinion, is valuation. Mm-hmm. We care about it. Uh, we care about it meaningfully. Right. Um, but cheap doesn't become expensive without something changing <laughs> usually and 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 uh, on the flip side expensive doesn't often become cheap without something changing mm-hmm. right and so we're looking to identify a company that has some change and, and and you know unlock the alpha that we think is available to to be found in those opportunities it is not easy to find those and that's why we hold ourselves to such a high standard of 30 to 40 individual securities at one time Mm -hmm. layer on our sustainability assessments. And, and, you know, it it is a high bar to make it into one of our portfolios. Uh, What's the normal timeframe that you guys hold these uh, uh, holdings for? It varies, um, but it's usually over a year, um, Mm -hmm. you know, on the long side of the portfolio. Uh, It kind of fall into two buckets, compounders that we believe, um, have been discounted for some reason that we think is temporary or transient mm-hmm. and companies that are just totally misunderstood uh, that we think we might have an opportunity to unlock uh, an op- uh, some alpha in the shorter term. Mm-hmm. On the short side, the turnover is a bit quicker. These are companies that have a catalyst 
these are companies that have a more limited time horizon. Shorting is hard. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we hold ourselves to the standard of saying, is there a catalyst? And can that catalyst be unlocked in the near term? And if not, it's just not good enough. Right. Are you, are you allowed to talk about some of the specific catalysts that are coming up that you've seen for companies that you currently hold? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can give you an example. Um, you know, we have a current short position in a company called Wix. Wix makes it, it's actually a fine service, mm -hmm. um, but Wix makes it easier for uh, individuals and businesses to create websites. They were one of the first to do this, and mm -hmm. there's really nothing wrong with the service itself. The problem is the competitive landscape has gotten much tougher. Yeah. And they're currently lapping what was actually a great environment for them during COVID-19 lockdown. And so more and more people uh, created websites, more businesses shifted to e-commerce. And now we're lapping that really impressive period for the company. And so the comps, the year-over-year -year comparisons are much tougher. Mm -hmm. uh, additionally, in the last quarter, we saw a company that had declining gross margins and that's been happening for more than a year now but as they transition into uh, ancillary services the quality of their revenue is getting a little bit worse in our opinion and so uh, having access to google trends and and certain website scan traffic scanners you know we we can see that the situation in the summer likely hasn't improved mm -hmm. and again this is uh, you know, just deep fundamental analysis and, and scrubbing the internet for resources and using everything that's available to us, um, that's available to everyone, uh, to sort of triangulate uh, an assessment of, of what the short-term earnings performance might look like. Mm. And uh, um, listening to you talk and uh, just learning more about the way you guys manage your fund, it almost feels like uh, actively managed is kind of a misnomer, or at least it doesn't like when I think of an actively managed fund, I think of like Kathy Wood posting every week, like I bought this, I sold this, I bought this, I sold this. Uh, it sounds like you guys are still with the, the long time frame or horizon that you're looking at. You're making smart, informed decisions and you're taking your time with them. You're not looking to try to flip these things real quick. Oh, absolutely. We're not a high turnover fund. We're not transacting incredibly frequently. We're monitoring diligently and 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 you know watching the portfolio every day you know all, mm -hmm. all day right. but not necessarily <laughs> turning the portfolio over as often as you know an arc funds for instance that yeah. said though this active dynamic we measure something called active share mm -hmm. which we would define as the difference between uh, funds holdings and an underlying index holding. The largest index, the most popular one, is the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. And you've both taken a look at our website and seen our holdings. Our overlap with the S&P 500 is very, very low. Um, right. We measured it uh, as of September 1st, and you know it was less than 2% overlap with the S&P oh. 500 on the long side of our portfolio for CBSE and the long mm -hmm. side of the portfolio for CBLS. And so while there may not be a lot of daily trading, our level of, of how active we are, you know, relative to the S&P is, you know, as active as they come. I would 
sort of challenge you to find another fund that looks as different (laughs) uh, from the broad indexes than ours. I almost want to coin the term active passive fund. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They're like active researchers, but passive investors. Actively managing it, but only when it needs to happen. (laughs) (laughs) So when you want to actually uh, uh, go ahead and purchase a security, like you've done your report, you've, uh, you've identified an opportunity, you've got the catalyst lined up, but that you know is coming within the next six months. Or we think, yep. Is there anything special that you have to do as far as like actually purchasing that security? No, it, it is exactly what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. I, I think the only you know opportunity that we have there is is again because we're ETFs, we can mm-hmm. adjust our sort of basket of holdings um, mm-hmm. so that that third party that we talked about, that authorized participant. Right, may be able to purchase that security when we have inflows um, into the fund. Um, but barring flows in and out of the fund, we're purchasing securities through a broker um, much the same way anyone else might. Hmm. How is your, uh, your track record against the, uh, the benchmarks? I mean, you mentioned that there's very little over, overlap. It's been a strong start so far. We're at about the 11-month mark since inception in November of mm-hmm. 2020. I noticed it was looking really good uh, about four months ago when I checked on you. About the same still, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if you look up CBSE, you can see, you know, since inception performance uh, compared to the S&P, and it, it, it has compared favorably. Um, CBLS, our long short, um, mm-hmm. also compares favorably since inception. Uh, we benchmark it against uh, Wilshire, uh, Equity Hedge, Liquid Alt, uh, sort of a, a total universe of other long short products and other hedge mm-hmm. fund products. Um, and it's compared favorably since inception there. So it, it's a good start so far. You know, as we said in the beginning, past performance doesn't necessarily indicate future <laughs> <Right>. performance, but <laughs> yeah. we do believe strongly that we have a disciplined and rigorous process. And, you know, for folks who are thinking about finding outside managers who are diligent and transparent in a liquid product that, that we believe to be tax efficient, um, you know, we think, it's, we think it's a tremendous opportunity and that we, we can add value in a client's portfolio. I, I have a question uh, looking at CBSE, and, I, and I've wondered this about actively managed ETFs for a while. The price of like me purchasing a share of the ETF, I, I, how, it, how is it correlated to the results of your investment decisions? Because like, I mean, I understand the auction theory and the open market. Is it just like people look and open up the holdings and say, oh, wow, they're really up today. So I wouldn't sell this for that low. I'm going to sell it up here at 35. Like, how does that equilibrium happen? Yeah. How does the ETF track the holdings? Like, how do they? How is does there the price of the ETF? Yeah. yeah. How is it not? Yeah, that's a great thing? question. Uh, so the intraday pricing of the funds is very much based on how the underlying securities are doing. So to take it a step back, every day the net asset value is calculated mm-hmm. for the fund. And so the price of the ETF is a reflection or should be a reflection of that net asset value. We have a lead market maker whose responsibility is to ensure that investors have access to buy and sell at fair prices mm-hmm. and 
uh, tight bid ask spread. And so those authorized participants that we talked about earlier, uh, they know what the holdings were as of the prior day, and they have algorithms that uh, calculate what the NAV, the net asset value of the ETFs, should be during the day. And so if um, if someone were to attempt to trade um, in the funds, um, those authorized participants um, are incented uh, to keep the securities, uh, the ETF itself, near its actual NAV during the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do a fantastic job of it. Um, you know, our lead market maker has been, uh, you know, a shining uh, light in, in this whole process. <laughs> They've done a fantastic job of ensuring that investors who want to buy and sell in the funds have ample liquidity to do so. Um, and liquidity is is really an interesting topic for ETF because right. um, when you think about liquidity, you think about how many shares were traded that day, right? That's mm-hmm. secondary market liquidity. With an exchange-traded fund, there's an additional source of liquidity called primary liquidity. And that is how liquid are the underlying holdings of the fund. Mm-hmm. And so um, because we own generally liquid securities, um, you know, an investor could allocate uh, meaningful amounts of money into the funds uh, and it wouldn't make a difference to us from a you know, trading perspective. Um, uh-huh. gotcha. you know, and, and so, um, so you like know, if one, someone plunked down like a huge sum of money, it wouldn't cause the underlying it, securities to go skyrocket or no, not at all. Um, what we would guide and advise is to use a limit order. Um, something that I'm sure your audience uh, is aware of given your trading pedigree. I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> limit order. All right. There I'll look that up. <laughs> For your notes, you can, you can put that in the, the, the post podcast notes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> limit order. I'm gonna add it. <laughs> Things we learned today, yeah, right? <laughs> so, what does uh, what does Vince do then? Sounds like you do all the work. Yeah, right. Oh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, Vince and I are co-portfolio managers. Um, we bounce ideas off each other. Uh, he. I, Vince is a 16-year veteran mm-hmm. uh, at Cloud Capital, 20-plus years in the industry. Just a fantastic resource. Um, you know, he, he is going to laugh when I say this or, or be embarrassed, but <laughs> I think in our industry, there are a lot of smart people. I think there are a lot of, well, I think there are some ethically grounded people. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I am incredibly biased, but I think Vince is both. You know, I, I couldn't be happier that, that he was comfortable working with me that, that that we were able to 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 start these funds and work on these funds together um just a fantastic teammate incredible ally and a great investor mm-hmm. so uh nothing but good things to say i'm just incredibly grateful uh-huh. for his trust man how'd you uh, how'd you guys meet a mutual um friend uh had introduced us and you know we had coffee and then we had coffee again and and um, you know, we had opportunities to share our thoughts on sort of how we uh, perceive the industry and how we thought portfolios could be run. And, um, you know, we both experienced this rise of 
witnessing the rise of ETFs mm-hmm. separately. We were at different firms. Um, but we both came away with similar conclusions about asking ourselves what we thought a modern asset manager should look like. Um, and we had you know, the luxury and the responsibility of, of putting together a fresh slate and asking ourselves, what should this look like? Should we use an ETF or a mutual fund or an LP or some other structure? Should the funds have 200 holdings or 30? Um, should we consider sustainability? And, and, you know, we thought that was a no-brainer. We thought having high conviction portfolios was incredibly logical. And we thought the ETF structure was just, the at the time and, and still, the most client-friendly way to uh, deliver a portfolio. I'm, I'm really, really really just blown away about how much I thought I knew, but how much I really didn't know right? about what's happening with ETFs. <laughs> or just even due diligence and everything. Like every time we talk to somebody like this, then I feel like I need to go back to school. <laughs> like, oh man, I didn't even think of that. That's brilliant. Well, look guys, the, one of the really amazing things about this industry are all of the resources that are out there. Yes. You know, there are so many investors sharing the way that they look at companies, sharing the way that they, manage portfolios, sharing the way that they think about their own individual accounts. You know, folks like you who are out there trying to be resources for other investors. So it's, you know, uh, really a credit to resources like Two Bulls. You know, you have your own specific type of approach. Some people are technical. Some people are fundamental. We talked about quantitative analysis. Mm -hmm. It's all out there, you know, Mm -hmm. and so... There are only so many hours in the day, but we've just got to do everything we can to soak up as many resources as possible because someone is willing to share it with us, you know, so let's, we can all take advantage of that. Yeah. Isn't that crazy that, uh, an industry about all about money like this, that so many people are willing to just give it all away for free. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, I feel like the people who are really successful in this field just love it that much that all they want to do is, all I want to do is talk about stocks and investing. Yeah, like that's kind of how the show started because my wife didn't want to hear it anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, we can't get enough. Mm-hmm. There just aren't enough hours in the day um, to 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 really appreciate everything that's out there, and so that's why it's important though to focus on what you think you have, you know, some uh, uh, advantage in. You know, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's U.S. equities, whether it's international, whether it's short-term trading, whatever it may be, um, you know, it, it's important to have that discipline. Yeah. All right. So, so do you have do you have to do special stuff like with your own personal portfolio because you manage a fund? Oh, absolutely. Are, are we, yes. <laughs> <laughs> extra extra hoops. I'm assuming. Yes. I, it's very rare that I would have any personal transaction. You just, uh, it's easier just to keep it all in the fund. We're investors in the fund. That's the priority. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we're investors. We're stewards. You know, one A, one B, one C. Every priority is is CBSE and CBLS. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm just imagining because there is two of you like meeting for you getting together for lunch. I mean, like, well, yeah, I made this dynamite trade last week. Why didn't you do it through ChangeBridge? <laughs> oh, never. <laughs> No. The first priority for everything we look at is change bridge. Yeah, yeah. The second priority is also change bridge. So 
That is not a dynamic that we would ever allow to happen. Where, do, have, where, where does that name come from? It, it's the name of the street in the town I grew up in and the name of a uh, condo community that I lived in uh, in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's got a great ring to it there. For, for all of our creativity and how we invest, uh, naming <laughs> is not necessarily the strong suit. What's the minimum requirement to start an ETF? Can I do it with $100? To start one? <laughs> yeah. I mentioned there's you fees. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't break even. Uh, <laughs> there, there, I guess technically you're not precluded uh, in that regard, but you, you'll need to find a board that will uh, say that you have the ability to, to be a long-term steward of clients' capital. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, you actually I, need I, one of those accreditations then, it sounds like? $100 would probably not cut it. Um, <laughs> probably not. You know, I'm hesitant <laughs> to speak in definitive terms, but... <laughs> right. Well, that sounds like a challenge is what that sounded like. All right. Note to self, turn $100 into $1,000, and then we'll, we'll have you back on the show. Because 1000 <laughs> that sounds like a lot. It must be enough. Look, from 100 to 1000 is is an impressive feat. So um, <laughs> I wish you all the best. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I think we got through just about everything we wanted to ask. I'm sure there's more, but we know that your time is limited. Yeah. Do you have any questions for us? No, I'm just kidding. That's a good question. Do you? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I am not a technical expert. So, you know, listening to your take on companies passing through resistance and, and, and hitting support and things like that, that's actually interesting feedback for me. You know, oh, really? It, 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 it's not necessarily uh, a forte or a strong suit, but it is something that is relevant. And so, you know, like I said earlier, there's something to be learned from all of us. We just have mm -hmm. to figure out where our strengths are and, and what our discipline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that should sure. be a new tagline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, well, since, since you asked, I'm seeing some support around 28 on CBSE. Got to break yeah. through that $30 ceiling, though. Got some resistance up there. I want to see it just bust through. CBSE. I should pull it up. Take a look. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Kyle has to. I don't have the. I don't have the volume by price profile. Up. It looks to me like uh, it's right in the middle of a massive bull flag. Yeah, it's flagging. <laughs> it, it looks good. You guys are going to do great in the next six months to a year. Trust me. Yeah. All right. I'll take it. <laughs> Glad I asked. Stamp of approval. Two bulls. There you go. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else that we need to cover? Is there? Yeah, Anything where else you want to yeah. Where can ahead. people find more uh find out more about ChangeBridge besides investing? Yeah, so changebridgefunds.com has all of our holdings, all of our monthly letters. You can subscribe to receive our monthly letters. Um we send out a full attribution report. We list all of our holdings. We talk about what work. We do a it's, it's like a 12-page letter. Oh, wow. Um you know, we really want folks to know what they're investing in. And, and you know, we take that transparency very seriously, and, and it's important to us. Um, you can find us at, at ChangeBridge Cap on Twitter, our client CFA on Twitter. 
Uh, we have a LinkedIn page, Change Rich Capital. Um, uh, those are all good resources. If none of those were, I mean, go to changebridgefunds.com. <laughs> there'll, there'll be links in the Reach out to us directly. We, you know, we, we do our best to be accessible. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's, that's about it. You can also occasionally find them on the TD Ameritrade network. This is true. And oh. Ross kills it, by the way. I walked away from listening to that. I'm like, wow, we got to talk to him. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, think, uh, I think they do a good job of making us sound good as well. They're, they're a fantastic host. Oh, really? It's, that's, that's all magic of editing? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. I just... <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think we're starting to ramble here. Dan, all do you right. want to wrap us up? Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A million times. Thank you, Ross. This has been a fantastic interview. All of my anticipation and eagerness to get to it was validated today. Uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I appreciate the time. And I I thank you for the interesting line of questioning. I appreciate it. (laughs) Hopefully it didn't stray too far uh, outside the uh, uh, what was approved by compliance. Yeah, hopefully. Oh, because we'd like to have you back at some point. Yes, absolutely. That that would be fantastic. Yeah. And and trust me, I'm turning off the recording. What aren't you legally allowed to say again? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Folks, thanks for sticking around. Uh, uh, We're going to try and get Ross back on sometime in the future. Uh, Check out Change Bridge. Uh, They've got those two awesome funds. uh, uh, Two bulls approved. Um, And and Kyle, you got anything else before we we head out of here? Close up the shop. Yeah, well, we'll have we'll have links for all that in the uh, episode description. So yeah, d- definitely check them out. And thanks again, Ross, for joining. Uh, I know it's been a long road trying to get you on here, but it was definitely worth the wait. Oh, worth it. Well worth it. Oh, great. I appreciate that. Thank you both. Thank you, Kyle. You Thank you, Dan. It. You got it. Thank you. All right, folks. Until next time, happy trades. Um, you can right. say bye, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.